We uh, look forward to celebrating the Lord's table together, and um, with that, I wanted to bring a message today on the crucifixion. It's um, a message I've, I've preached before, but each time I work on it a little bit more, <laughs> so um, some of you may remember, Anya didn't remember, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not criticizing her, I'm just saying you're probably in the same boat. Criticizing everyone. <laughs> so, um, but uh, the sign on the cross is uh, the title of the message. Um, John 19:19 19, 19 is uh, really the, the passage here. But um, I'm going to start reading actually all the way back in John 18 um, as we get going. But um, this will remind us of uh, the events leading up to the crucifixion of our Lord and. Um, beginning first with his encounter uh, with Pilate here, but um, John 18.33 is, is where we'll begin reading together if you want to follow along in your Bibles. But uh, John 18.33 says, Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, saying, Thou, thou this thing, uh, sayest thou this thing of thyself? Or did others tell thee of me? Verse 35, Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I'm a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? When he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers platted a crown of thorn and put it on his head, and they put, him on, a, put on him a purple robe. It said, Hail, king of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again, and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. As we think about this passage in this account today, um, this is one in which we're reminded of just the great sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, he stands before Pilate as king and yet endures the shame. Uh, I mean, can you, can you uh, even think for a moment of, of what that must have been like for, the, I mean, the, the king of the universe standing before this little Roman governor and the governor is all puffed up as though he's really in charge. And Jesus, in his humility, 
allows it to take place for us, for our good. It's something that um, I think is just shocking as you think of it. And uh, we're going to skip ahead now to John 19. John 19, beginning in verse 16. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place, the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew, Golgotha. Where they crucified him, two other with him, on either side, one, and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. The Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the account. Uh, this account before us. And Lord, we pray that this morning we would see anew your wonderful hand in proclaiming Jesus as the Savior of the world. Father, the, the King going on the cross for the sake of us all. Father, we ask that today as we consider his sacrifice, we would once again be in awe at, at who Jesus is and what he would do on our behalf. Father, we pray that today your word would renew in us a, a spirit of a, a fear of the Lord, of, of all of the wonder of who you are. Father, at your working of this perfect plan, Father, of your kindness, and showing us grace and mercy through the cross of Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we uh, often talk about the cross today. It is obviously the, the big symbol of, of Christianity. We're familiar with that. We've got one back there behind me. And, uh, you know, it's, it's common. People have little necklaces and all kinds of different things, right? Um, it's, uh, it's amazing. Uh, there's this... Um, website uh, or, or app I go to, and I'm not trying to advertise for them, but they, they sell all this stuff and ship it from China. It's like a Chinese website. They sell so much Christian stuff, it's amazing. All coming from China. It's just kind of ironic, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. And, you know, so crosses all over. I mean, crosses all over it, and um, as, we, as we think about that, um, you know, we, we obviously, as, as Protestants, don't usually display the, the cross with, with Jesus on it. I mean, this is, this is um, an example of um, some Catholic artwork. It actually has popes around the, the sides there, but um, of, of Jesus and the two thieves on the cross. And one of the things that I think um, perhaps has not got a whole lot of focus um, is uh, in the midst of that scene up above Jesus' head, uh, there's a sign. There's a sign. And so um, while you probably have heard of people making the sign of the cross before 
on their chest. Today, we're actually going to be considering the sign on the cross, right? The one up above Jesus' head. Um, it, it takes a, um, a, a, I would say, a good portion of John's gospel here, this account that we read together. Uh, but I think it's an area where there has actually been little focus uh, in regard to what it says. Um, it's basically, you know, a placard, a small sign, some sort of notice. Uh, they would use the term title. It's actually referred to in Scripture as someone, as uh, sometimes as being the the accusation, right? The, the crime that the one on the cross is uh, accused of committing. Um, this this process of crucifixion was a really a process of capital punishment, one which the Romans perfected. Um, others had done it, but the Romans did it better than anyone else. Right? That was their. Um, claim to fame, so to speak, in regard to crucifixion. Cicero, who was a Roman statesman, um, he actually said the following, it was the most cruel and shameful of all punishments. Let it never come near the body of a Roman citizen, nay, not even near his thoughts or eyes or ears. Right? So it was so terrible that in, uh, the, the Romans uh, would not perform crucifixion on their own citizens. It was, it was typically reserved for those outside. Now, there's some exceptions there, but it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a punishment reserved for the worst of the worst, right? The, the, um, and, and we think about capital punishment in our day, right, here in the United States as it takes place, um, it too is reserved for the worst of the worst, right? That's, that's who it's reserved for. And in the U.S., you know, the public knows about the event taking place. They know about the execution. Um, but there really are very few who witness it, right? There are very few. Um, it's, it's really limited to those who can fit in a small viewing area. Often it's family members or, or others, but um, not very many uh, are allowed in there. The, the actual intention behind the, um, the process of, of lethal injection is uh, intended to be quick and painless. That is the, the thought process behind it. Um, it's actually to make it as easy as possible, not uh, more difficult. Um, I have never witnessed a lethal injection, but um, one judge I, I knew, uh, she had witnessed a lethal injection, and um, she, as, as a judge, wanted to see what the possible sentence was that she might be handing out. And so she went and witnessed a lethal injection, and um, she said it, it, the process she saw was very clinical. It was like someone going to sleep before an operation, um, and, as she saw it. Now, Roman executions were different. They were designed to be public, right? The, the one being killed was raised up for all to see. It's up, up high. You see the people down below. Um, they were... Um, it, it was a, a type of punishment that was designed to torture the one who was dying. They would receive pain. Uh, some have called it retributive suffering, right? That they would somehow for hours or at times even days have to go through the pain and suffering of, of the cross. And, and being lifted up there right on a main road just outside the city it was there and present for all to see, who, all who passed by, and, and the, the fate, the crime of the individual, and the reason that they received that fate was placed on the sign up above their head 
so that those who walked by could see those who do this against the Roman Empire, those who commit this crime against the Roman Empire will receive this sentence. Now, they didn't do it in the city. That would interrupt commerce. You can't stop making money, but, but uh, you put it outside the city where everybody can still see it, and then inside things can still go on. So we uh, think about crucifixion. This is a little bit smaller than I realized, but there you see a man with a crossbar across his shoulders. And so this would have, this would have been uh, the type of, of, um, of, of single bar, most likely, that an individual would have had strapped to them. And um, it wasn't as though they did all of this right at the site of the crucifixion. It wasn't as, as though it all took place at Golgotha. They would actually strap this crossbar uh, to them. Most think it probably weighed over 100 pounds uh, while they were still in the city. And um, they would have around them uh, a, a group of Roman soldiers, typically uh, four, who would be with the prisoner and surrounding the prisoner as they marched out toward Golgotha. Um, they would go down a pathway that's uh, referred to as the Via Della Rosa, and uh, folks have a guess today about where it was. We don't know necessarily for sure, but it, it wasn't the quickest route, right? And, and it was actually described as the way of suffering. That's what Via Della Rosa means. And so the, the idea being that this individual would have to go through this suffering walk, carrying this uh, cross member of the, of the cross um, along the way, after having been beaten and scourged and back torn to pieces and all that they went through, the, the process was so difficult, uh, especially after the beating that Jesus had taken. Remember, Pilate at one time wanted to beat him so badly that perhaps they wouldn't want to take him to the cross. You know, that was, that was uh, him, him being kind, <laughs> or seeking to render a kindness, per se. And so Jesus was beaten so badly and displayed before the Jews with the hope that perhaps they would not send him to be crucified. And having been perhaps beaten worse than what would be typical for most prisoners, the, the cross member was still strapped through his arms, across his back, and he marched it through the streets. Um, a, a march that was so difficult that he couldn't make it all the way. Help was needed for him to finish carrying the cross to the place of Golgotha. It's um, hard to imagine the, the pain and, and everything that he went through um, along the way on that path. Of course, we know what would take place at, at the site of the cross as nails would be driven through the hands, uh, Nails would be driven through the feet. The crossbar, of course, was hoisted up there. A, bar, a um, wooden block put under the feet so that the individual could push off on the block in order to be able to breathe as they were hanging there. 
and um, all in the midst of all the, the suffering and pain and everything that was going on. One of the things I think that sometimes gets missed in the midst of this description is the fact that long before Jesus went to Golgotha, Pilate had either written himself on a placard, a sign, or had someone else write on that sign. And typically, either one of the Roman soldiers would carry the sign in advance of the one who was being executed as they walked through the streets, or sometimes they might even hang the sign around the neck of the individual carrying the cross. And the idea was that as he would go through all the streets of the town, it would be a declaration to all those looking of what the crime was. Again, this, this was intended to be very, very public. It was intended to put on display the pain you would feel if you dared to stand against the Roman Empire. And so this was what, um, what Jesus was, was going through along the way. Uh, this is an example of the placard. You, you can't, um, you, you maybe be able to just make out the three lines there in the middle, but um, on here we, we have um, Hebrew written first, and then if I can make that out, we have that followed by the Greek, and then uh, the Latin down at the bottom. But with that, um, with that, it would have been something like this with three lines written on there for, for those who come by to see. And so uh, this title would have been put out there. So I, let, let's just take a moment and just consider that scene um, as we think about Pilate, this you know, local governor uh, serving over that area there in, in Jerusalem. He's the Roman prefect. Um, he is the author and the authority behind the sign. He's the one who said what would go on it. And, and we know that as we read that already. Um, but why would he even be making this declaration? Well, the, the Jewish leaders, those who truly wanted Jesus to be crucified, were not allowed to crucify him. They, they, they could offer certain punishments but they did not have the power of the death penalty. And so in order to do that, he had to be brought before the Romans. And so the Jewish leaders who hated the Romans went to the Romans for assistance in order to have Jesus crucified. Now that in and of itself is pretty incredible when you think, just at the start of the week on Palm Sunday, as Jesus is coming into town on the donkey and they're laying down the palms and they are shouting out Hosanna, declaring Jesus as Messiah with the wrong belief that he was coming with the intention of overthrowing the Roman government. Now, Jesus enters into the town that day. He comes in on Palm Sunday. That crowd is excited. They are, they are cheering. They're laying down the palm branches. The excitement all over the place. And can you almost imagine in their mind, they're thinking, well, where's the army? Right? 
Where's this horse? He's coming in on a donkey. Where, where are these things? This, this is the one, but we're, we're still going to cheer, right? We're still going to cheer. And then the next thing happened. Jesus didn't run to the capital. He didn't run to the palace. He went to the temple. And the crowds saw him go in, but they didn't follow in. He stands in the midst of the temple among his own people as the Messiah who came to save his people from their sins. The perfect Passover lamb on Passover week in the midst of the temple where the sacrifices are made and it's as though they didn't even see him. There was no excitement there. There was no recognition of who the Messiah was or what he came to do. In fact, quite the opposite, the, the Jewish leaders are in the background plotting for his death at this time. They're beginning the process of, of, of continuing the process of planning. How do we kill this one who seems to have authority and, and power over the people, authority and power which they craved? So Jesus looks around, he's not recognized, and he leaves, and he leaves. You know, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. That's how scripture describes it. The Passover lamb was brought into the temple, and there was no fanfare. No one was excited for someone to die on their behalf. They wanted a warrior. They wanted a soldier. They wanted someone to overthrow the government. And so when, when Jesus left that day, people often wonder, how could a crowd who was cheering him on just at the beginning of the week also have been another crowd, same city, who was crying out for his death? How could that take place? And we don't know that it was exactly the same people in the crowds. We don't know the details, but... Certainly, I think it's safe to say that the public sentiment had shifted. He was not the one coming by the power of the sword to overthrow Rome. He was the one who now was in chains, bound by the Roman leaders, delivered unto the Romans and standing before him. And now those who before were just recently cheering for the overthrow of Rome now stand out there before Pilate, declaring to everyone, crucify him. Bending a knee to the Roman government, saying, do what we cannot, kill this man. And so they did. So they did. Pilate wrote the sign. He stood in authority over the king of all the universe. And he stood there as this local governor passing judgment over Jesus. He stands as an unrighteous judge, passing judgment over the righteous judge who will righteously judge the entire world. Philo described, he was a first century Jewish philosopher, he described Pilate as someone with an, an indomitable temper. And here we see him waver and vacillate in front of the Jews. He doesn't really 
think that Jesus is deserving of death. In fact, he says so to them. And yet, he comes to the place, he declares, okay, you have it, I wash my hands of it. And now finally, he writes an inscription, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And the Jews once again are up in arms. And no, right that it, he says that he's king of the Jews. And this time, Pilate actually gains a backbone. It's amazing. What I have written, I have written. He, he won't change it. And, and, and so now he's unwilling to bend. It's, a, it's amazing as you think about the way in which God works. Because although in the midst of his plan, he would allow these things to transpire according to his plan for his son to go to the cross and offer a redemption to the world, but he would not allow him to go without a witness. And the witness was on his placard, either worn on his chest along the way or declared by the soldier. It was on the, the sign that was lifted up and nailed above his head it's a sign that was an accusation. It was a declaration of what his guilt was, and it said, here is Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. The, the only charge there can be sedition. He is seeking to overthrow the government, the very thing that the Jews wanted him to do, which he did not come to do, and Pilate recognized it. He declared his kingdom to be heavenly, not of this world, and Pilate understood that he was no threat to Caesar. And so here we have this example before us. Christ was being ordered crucified, and, and, and he's going to be declared um, innocent by Pilate and yet sent off as guilty. And then Pilate finally gains the background and says, yeah, but I wrote the sign correctly. <laughs> It's amazing when you think about it. This gesture certainly was one that sought to antagonize the chief priest. You forced my hand. You were seeking a riot. I had to go with this. You, you forced me to send him to the cross. But no, I'm not going to let you force me on the sign. Kind of amazing. There's some who actually believe that Pilate deserves some credit or praise here for this. Uh, not at all. Not at all. But God is working out his plan. So let's go through a little bit of, of what the placard says. You know, it starts with Jesus, name given by his father. It means Savior. Um, as we uh, think back to when that took place, Matthew 1, beginning of verse 20. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Here's the declaration for all to see. This is the name Jesus, the one who saves, and it's right there on the sign above his head. This is a, a scene set before all those who walked by of a world rejecting their Savior. 
Spurgeon wrote, divine providence always has its way. It matters not who may be the person's concern. God knows how to work his own will with them. It was his purpose that his son should not die upon the cross without a public proclamation of his innocence and an official recognition that he was what he said he was, namely the king of the Jews. God the Father worked out that plan. Jesus of Nazareth, he's a Nazarene, native inhabitant of Nazareth, New Testament town in Lower Galilee, the time of Christ. Uh, Nazareth, along with that region south of Galilee, was outside of mainstream Jewish life. You perhaps remember uh, that expression in John 1.46, Nathanael said to him, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Right? And Philip said to him, come and see. So here's Jesus of Nazareth. And he's one who the very prophets themselves had declared would be fulfilled in the Messiah. Matthew 2.23 says, And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. So here's Jesus the Savior, the one you're rejecting, who is from Nazareth, the one prophesied by the prophets that Matthew puts out here, that he would come from that city. And it's declared on the sign for all to see. Here's God incarnate, God in the flesh, the God-man Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, the one who is the seed of the woman. Isaiah called him Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. And what have we done with him? The end of the sign notes that he is the king of the Jews. You know, Jesus' enemies didn't like this description. This was the part that really bothered them. And so they wanted it to change. Well, he said that. And yet, in the midst of what is going on, God the Father, by his providence, made it clear that even Pilate himself would not change it for the Jewish leaders that a true declaration of who his son is would be listed upon the cross above his head. In the midst of everything that was going on, the Jewish leaders thought, hey, we finally got him. We're in control now. We're in charge. Pilate thought, hey, this is no threat. I'm in charge over him. He wasn't worried about the judgment of Jesus. He was worried about the judgment of the Jewish leaders. He had it backwards. So Pilate passes judgment, and yet Christ is still in control. See, he, he was a king from birth. He's a king now. He's a king forevermore. Matthew 2.2 2 reminds us of, of the uh, wise men who came from the east, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. See, they knew this was the king of the Jews. The beginning of the Passion Week, as, as they stood out there declaring Hosanna, they said in John 12, 13, they took branches from palm trees, went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. That was their declaration. There had been a witness of who he was. Before Pilate himself, Jesus bore witness of his kingdom. Right? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this, of this world, 
Then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king? Jesus answered, Thou sayest I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Here's the king of the Jews. Here's the king of the Jews. And here, on this sign, we see that declaration. It, it, is, it is another name that will be written of him in regard to his kingship, Revelation 19:16, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This truly is the king. And, and his rule is, is not only eternal, but it's one that is not just simply over the Jews, but it's universal, it is overall. Can you imagine if the Jews had actually received him? He would have been, they would have become a light to the nations. They would have recognized the true Messiah. It, it would have been clear. And, and here, his, his universal regency, his reign over all, is listed for all to see in three separate languages for, for anyone to know very clearly, right? Whether, whether you want it in, in Hebrew or, or Aramaic, whether you want it in Latin, the, the Roman official language, whether you want it in Greek, the language of the commerce in that day that the people coming by would have most likely all understood. And yet here it is written out there showing that, that this King Jesus is intended to reign over all of the world for all people. The, the declaration that his death on the cross is not simply for the Jews, but for all. Even in the way that it's written on the sign. You see, he's not just the eternal king, he is the universal king. As we think about Jesus, the question before us is, is that true of us? How do we receive him? Do we receive him in that way? Do we recognize him in that way? As, as King Jesus, the one who reigns, the one who rules, the one who is over all, you know, Paul described it in this way of what should be taking place in our hearts in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That, that is what we're called to do as we think about our great King Jesus, as we say, Jesus, this life is yours. I want to be under your reign. It's an amazing account. F.F. Bruce put it this way. He said, the crucified one is the true king, the kingliest king of all, because it is he who is stretched on the cross. He turns an obscene instrument of torture into a throne of glory, and he reigns from the tree. You see, Jesus himself stands, is on that cross, and he does not give up his kingship. His authority never ends, even on the cross itself. It, it is pretty amazing but, but that, that Jesus is, is not giving up his authority as he's being crucified. Those around think, hey, we've won, right? He, 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 this is the end, we, we've won. 
And yet there is, there is King Jesus on the cross, witness before all. He, he need not open his mouth, right? As a sheep before the shearers is silent. Jesus did not have to lift up his voice because God the Father providentially put a sign above his head to give declaration to all about who he is. It's pretty amazing that our God and King reign from the cross itself. I don't know if you've ever considered that, but this is you know, Friday, Good Friday. That's what we traditionally have viewed as the day of the crucifixion. We're coming to the end of the Passover. And uh, so that day of the crucifixion, before, before uh, the end of the day, when they broke Jesus' bones so that he wouldn't still be on the cross of the Sabbath, as, as we think about that day, that, that Jesus was up there, for all who see, there was a witness in the sign itself about what was going on. Everybody there had a witness. Okay, the, 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 he's buried at the end of the Sabbath. He's placed in the tomb. And so he, he is encased there. The next day is the Sabbath. No one can come to the tomb. Uh, people are not out doing um, the, the work things. They're rec- recognized in the Sabbath. And then comes Sunday, right? The day of the resurrection. And so here's, here is Jesus' witness on the resurrection day. He's alive. What an incredible witness going from a sign over the cross, the curtain being torn in two, the graves being opened up, darkness over the sky, to being placed in the grave, and then the following day, the resurrection of Christ. See, the sign on the cross gave declaration to all who passed by who this was. There was no excuse. Those who saw it knew who he was. And it wasn't simply he said this, it was a declaration, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The wise men understood it just from a star. The people didn't fully understand it, even though they gave declaration to it because they only wanted it to get what they wanted. The Jews rejected him, and the Jewish leaders, and he was hung on that cross. The Romans, not having much to do with it except to play their role, went along with what was set before them. And through it all, Jesus still reigned. See, that's the wonder of our Savior. That's the wonder of our God. By all accounts, that seems impossible. And yet here he is on the the midst of that instrument of torture. And he's still on the throne. It's amazing when you think about it. It's amazing, the declaration from a simple sign on the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way in which you provide a witness to your son. Father, we thank you for his sacrifice, for our sakes. We thank you, Lord, for the way in which, in spite of the rejection of the world, you would not allow your son to go to the grave or the cross without a witness. Father, we pray today that as we remember his sacrifice, that we too would bear witness 
of his death, which we are remembering until he comes. Father, we pray that today our hearts would be focused in remembrance on our Savior who shed his own blood the remission of sins. Father, I ask today that you would help us examine our hearts if there be any area of sin. We pray that you would display that to us now. We might confess it and forsake it. Father, we pray that today this would be a testimony of how great our Savior is and the thankfulness we have for his dying for our sakes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.